0: So for those in this room, um, if you've never met me before, my name is Andrew. I'm the student pastor here at Temple. And uh, I've been asked to to speak while Pastor Malcolm's gone. And I always look at it as a privilege and an opportunity to... Because I love love being up here. And I love seeing you. And hopefully you love seeing me. I was watching when Pastor Malcolm came on the screen to see if anybody was sneaking out. (laughs) You're like, oh, he's not here. I didn't see anybody move, so I'm thankful. Uh, I'm just so blessed to be here this morning. Let's do this. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll get started this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for the work you're doing. Lord, we thank you that we get to be partners in that work, that you have equipped us, that you have called us, that you have motivated us to go into this world to reach the lost. And Father, I'm praying right now that you would speak to us this morning, that you would work in us, and Lord, bring conviction where there needs to be conviction, bring change where there needs to be change. Father, I pray that we get motivated this morning, because we have work to do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I, uh, I almost came to tears in that last sentence that Pastor Malcolm said, because he said, we have work to do. If you, know, if you haven't noticed, pick up your handout and look at the title of the message this morning. We have work to do. Now, that wasn't coordinated. I hope you understand. I didn't know if Pastor Malcolm was going to be saying that, and Pastor Malcolm had no idea I'd be preaching on this this morning. Uh, And so that was kind of God's stamp of approval that uh, what's going to be talked about this morning is needed. And so I was encouraged this morning, and I, I pray God will encourage you through it. Usually, I'm known as the funny guy. I'm known as the guy that has props and illustrations and tells funny stories about my wife doing this. Um... And if you know, you know, all right. Um, and I was kind of, I was worried because I realized the message I'm going to be preaching this morning is not really f- funny. It doesn't have a whole lot of, of funny anecdotes to go with it. The only funny thing I have is, is somebody told me this morning that my, my shirt was too Christmassy. It's red and green, too Christmassy. And usually what happens is when people get on to you for decorating too early, it's usually the same people who, when they have a birthday in April, they say, it's my birthday month. All right. So listen, if you get a month, I think Jesus gets two. All right. And so if I want to wear a Christmassy looking sweater and shirt and I want to put up a Christmas tree, mind your business. All right. I'm going to do me. You do you. All right. Uh, Anyhow, anyhow, get that off my chest. This morning, I want to speak on the issue that we have work to do. There is an epidemic in churches all over our country, all over our state. I'm thankful that we do not belong to one of these types of churches, but there's churches out there that are more about self-help and motivation than they are about the gospel. And when they do present the gospel, it's such a perverted, twisted uh, rendition of the gospel, it does no longer even represent the gospel. Because when you preach the gospel the way it's supposed to be preached, It's offensive. And that's not very appealing to the people out there. And so we want to say things that are comfortable and things that are helpful and things that are, that are easy to listen to. But I want to tell you, the moment you rob the gospel of its offensiveness is the moment you rob the gospel of its power. Because it's the gospel that offends that will then bring change. The gospel is offensive. It tells you you are a sinner. It tells you you don't measure up. It tells you you fall short. It points out all your flaws and your mistakes because it's trying to point you to something greater. But in our world today, we have many Christians and pastors that try to neuter God of his justice. They try to neuter God of his wrath. They try to neuter God of his judgment. Because those things aren't appealing to the masses. They want to speak about his love and his mercy and his grace. But I'm here to tell you this morning that his wrath and his judgment and his justice are just as much of an attribute of God than his love, mercy, and grace. And they need to be talked about just as much as the others. And so I hope you understand that the God of the Old Testament is still the same God in the New Testament. He didn't change. He didn't change his mind. He didn't change what he believed. He didn't change the way he functioned. People say, well, Jesus is different. He's a God of love. Well, I want to tell you, yes, he is, but he's also God incarnate. He said this, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so he's here to do the Father's will and the Father's business. I don't know if you've ever read the Gospels, but if you read the Gospels, you'll find out that Jesus spoke about about judgment and hell more than any other gospel writer in all of Scripture. He told His disciples, He sent him into Israel, and He says to go house to house. And He says, if anyone doesn't receive you, He says, knock the dust off of your feet and keep on going. He says, there is more judgment coming to them than the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. God is a God of justice. He's a God of wrath. He's a God of judgment. And I believe up until recently... Churches and pastors and missionaries and evangelists really believe that, but we're starting to get a little bit watered down in the way that we believe about who God is. Up until recently, we had missionaries and pastors that firmly believed that God would be a God of wrath. Matter of fact, you have people throughout history like John Knox. John Knox, uh, and I have different pictures to put up here so you see what they look like. Here's Mr. John Knox. John Knox said this He says, Give me Scotland or I die. He was so burdened by the people of Scotland where he lived, he says, give me Scotland or I die. Then you have people like Hudson Taylor, who was so burdened by the people of China that he says, I feel I cannot go on living unless I do something for China. You have a man named Adoniram Judson, one of the famed missionaries of old, who was a missionary to Burma, who was trying to translate the Bible into their language. And while he was doing that, he was imprisoned. And while he was in prison, his wife died. And then he was taken out of prison, released, and he contracted a deadly disease. And it zapped every bit of energy it had from his body. And he said this in his last days. He says, Lord, let me finish my work. Spare me long enough to put the saving word into the hands of the people. Why? Because he understood that God was a God of wrath, of judgment, and justice. You have a man named Robert Arthington who was unable to go into missions himself, but he inherited a fortune from his family. He was a very religious man, a very, uh, a very, very convinced that God is a God that needed to be served and worshipped. And there was people out there that didn't know about him yet. And so he spent nearly all of his fortune funding missions all over the world. And he was quoted for saying this, he says, Gladly would I make the floor my bed, a box my chair, and another box my table, rather than that men should perish for want of knowledge of Christ. He literally lived in a uh, one-room house, and they had a picture, and there was a pallet on the floor. He was a millionaire, but he gave everything he could to missions. Why? Because he understood who God was. Paul in Romans chapter 9, verse 1. This is just, we'll be in Romans all day this morning. But this is just one area I want you to see. Because to me, I I remember reading this as a young man in seminary. And this is probably one of the most convicting of all pieces of scripture I have found. Because it realized it really exposed my heart compared to a true missionary's heart. A true person who is an evangelist for lost people. This is Paul speaking and he says this in verse 1 of Romans chapter 9. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. He's basically saying, I'm not exaggerating. This is really what I feel. This is my heart. Verse 2 says that I have a great heaviness and a continual sorrow in my heart. Know what he's saying? He says, it's a burden I can't shake. It's something that keeps me awake at night. I I, I can't get it off my mind. It's always there. It's something I'm always thinking about. And verse 3 says, for I could wish, this is where it, whew, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Do you know what he's saying in this word, in this verse? He's saying, if it was possible for me to, 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 to give the lost people, my, my Jewish brethren, the Israelites, if I could take my salvation and give it to them, I would. I would be separated from Christ so that they could know Christ. How many of you in this room right now would say you would forfeit your salvation for someone else? Right? I like what I got. <laughs> but Paul's heart was for lost people. And he says, there's Jewish brethren, my community, my friends, my family who do not know Christ. And if I could transfer my salvation to them, I would do it. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that there was a time when people were convicted and convinced that there was a God of wrath and a God of judgment and that there were men and women dying without knowledge of Christ and they were going to do everything and anything they could to make sure that that was no longer a reality. They were motivated and they were movable. They were going into the communities and the highways and the byways. They were sacrificing their lives. They were losing everything to make sure people heard the gospel. But we live in a day and age today where if it's raining, it's too inconvenient to go to church. I don't stand up here. Let me, let me get it straight. I don't stand up here some super soul winner. I ain't got it together either. I have been failing miserably. All right, this is, this is Andrew to you. I try to be transparent. I don't want to present myself as something I'm not. I have been on a paid church staff for some 16 years of my life in some kind of capacity. I've been student pastors. I've been associate pastor. I've been just about everything in between. I've led worship. I've done missions. I've done it all. And I have yet to take the gospel seriously like I should. I haven't been living out the Great Commission like I should. I haven't been motivated by the reality of the lost people are dying and going to hell. And it has burdened my heart. Because we still have work to do. We have work to do, church. I don't know if you really believe this, but I I truly believe if you believe there's a heaven, we have to believe that there is a hell. And people who are dying apart from the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that is their destination. Heaven is not the default. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven when they die. Heaven is not the default. Hell is the default. Heaven is granted. uh, Hell is granted. Heaven is a choice. So what are we going to do about it? My heart is this. That we be so convinced and convicted of the reality that people are dying and going to hell, that we spend every waking breath that we have getting so close to the flames of hell, snatching them out, that our very clothes smell like smoke. That is my heart cry, is that we become convinced and motivated that we're going to do anything we can to reach our neighbors and our community and our co-workers and our peers and our locker room and everywhere we go. I want to see this community change. I want to see lives restored. I want to see families changed. Change. Don't you want to see that too? Good. Because we got work to do. Would you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21? Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. If you're taking notes, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make it as simple as possible. It's gonna be kind of heavy, the first four points. I ain't gonna lie, it's gonna be kind of heavy. Some of y'all might get a little uncomfortable. That's okay. I'm a student pastor. You don't have to hear me every week. It's good. (laughs) But the very first four points is going to help set up the last two points. And so Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, it says this. For the wrath of God, there it is. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth. And unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. How is it manifest in them? In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 it tells us that God has put eternity inside of all men. That men have some sort of knowledge of there is a God that exists. He put his fingerprints on the human conscience. How, does people, how do people have morality if no one's ever told them what is right and wrong? How do they understand right and wrong if no one's ever told them? Because God put his fingerprint on every, every person who's ever been made. Inside of every man, there is information that God exists. It says, for God has showed it unto them. Verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are what? Clearly seen. Clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, look at this last one, so that they are without excuse. Point number one, all people know of God. All people know of God. Here's the picture that Paul is painting. He's telling us that every person in all creation, past, present, and future, will have a knowledge that there is a God. That they can't go anywhere without looking into the night sky or looking into a sunrise without realizing that there is some kind of intelligent, powerful creator at work. There is enough information in this world today to look around and look and say, there is something bigger than me. Even Darwin himself, the great motivator of evolution, in his last days said the human eye is too complex for evolution. There was even some things in his studies that he said it just is too complicated for evolution to ever exist. Because just the human eye, he says, it's just too complex. Listen, you see the handiwork and the fingerprints of God everywhere. In Psalm 19.1 it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament of his handiwork. How many of us have ever stayed and looked up at the night sky and saw millions upon millions upon millions of stars and just said, wow. This is what he's saying. He says all people know that there is a God. There's not a person in this planet. There's not a a person in this room. There's not a person thousands of miles away from here. There's not a a, a person, an an Eskimo in the frozen tundra that has not come to the understanding and realization through the visible cues of God that he exists, that there's some great creator at work. God has made himself known and visible to 6.7 billion people on this planet. We are without excuse. Where can you go today that you cannot find God in creation? You can't. Where can you go that you cannot feel the sun? Or you can't see the stars he hung in space? Or you can't smell the flowers that he's spoken to create. You can't. The invisible things of God have been manifested, have been clearly seen, so that we are without excuse. Creation, the human conscience, testifies that God exists. So point one, all people know of God. Number two, all people reject true knowledge of God. All people reject true knowledge of God. Verse 21 of chapter 1. It says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. It says, When they knew of God, they glorified him not as gods." Here's the problem. The people have rejected what they have heard or seen of God. They've, they've stiff-armed it. They've rejected, they try to explain it away. They try to make scientific discoveries that show that God doesn't exist, but, but failure after failure after failure, yet they still declare there is no God. But he's saying, here I am. But people have rejected true knowledge of God. And if you skip down to verse 25 of that same chapter, it says, who changed the truth of God into a lie. And worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. See, here's the thing. Here's what's happening in our society. You don't even have to go overseas to find it anymore. It's right here in our own hometown. We have people who are trading worship of God for worship of statues, for worship of elements. People are worshiping trees and suns and moon and all kinds of stuff. They're worshiping everything, they're worshiping the, crea- the, the creation rather than the creator. You don't have to go anywhere right now very far to find people who are stuck into things like mysticism and new age religion. They're worshiping crystals. Even in our own elementary schools in our own state, there's there's this new requirement in some places where they're asking teachers to do early morning meditation and transcendental meditation, singing mantras in the morning with elementary school kids. It's infiltrating everywhere and people are stiff arming god and they're 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 basing who they are because of their astrology sign. They're saying I'm always late everywhere because I'm a Virgo. No, you're late because you're a poor planner. <laughs> it wasn't because you were born in May, all right? I don't or whatever sign. Or they say I just speak my mind because I'm a Gemini. No, you're a jerk, all right? <laughs> That's you quit <laughs> Quit defaulting yourself to to other things. God made you the way he made you. Someone asked me what my sign was. I said, hot and ready. (laughs) Krispy Kreme, that's my sign. What sign am I? (laughs) But this is the reality we live in. People are worshiping All this other stuff, and they have stiff armed the true knowledge of God. They have God is declaring Himself saying, I exist, I have made myself visible, I put my thumbprint on your heart and your mind, everywhere you look you see that I exist, and yet mankind is saying, Nah, I want to worship this instead. So do you think God is okay with that? Because this is what we've come. Now we have this new question and, and that's been presented. Like, What happens to the tribe who has no idea that God exists? They haven't been approached by a missionary. They've never held a Bible. They've never, never seen a white man before. And, and, and they're doing the best they can with what they've got. And so they, so they build a, a statue to, a, to an animal or whatever. Aren't, aren't they doing okay? Aren't, isn't that okay for God to do that? And isn't he approval of that? Let me give you an analogy. It's a very poor analogy, but let me help you out. Let's say I have to go on a trip for six months. While I'm gone for six months, my wife moves in a new man and loves this man like she loves me. And and, and this man bounces my kids on his knee like I bounce my kids on my knee. And after six months, I come home and I find this new man in my home. How do you think I'm going to react? You will see my mugshot on Facebook. Local youth pastor loses his mind. All right. That's if you know I will not be okay with someone taking my place how in the world do we think we are convinced that God is okay with someone taking his place? God will share his his love with you. He will share his grace with you, but he will not share his glory with another. He is jealous of his glory. He is jealous of his holiness. He is jealous of all of those. So we cannot assume that God is okay with us worshiping things that don't belong to him, that that aren't aren't attributed to him. That's, hey, I'm going to do my thing. No. So we have this idea... That God is okay, but he's not. God is jealous. He's a jealous God. He loves you too much to let you worship something that's not worthy. And so we see that all people are, all people have a knowledge of God. All people have rejected true knowledge of God. Number three, all people are guilty. Told you this is not going to be fun for the first little bit. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 it says, as it is written. If y'all have a pen or a pencil and you like to write in your Bible or take notes or anything like that, this is a good place to do this. I want you to underline a circle every time it uses the word none, it uses the word all, it uses the word uh, 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 total. It, I, every time it speaks of, of, of how many people are included, I want you to mark that down, circle it, underline it as we read through this. All right? Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. How many people is that? (laughs) All people. How many of us are good? None of us. We are all guilty. My water is leaking like a sieve up here. Pastor Malcolm's going to get mad. Um, all right. We have all messed up. Let me put it this way. I'm a very simple-minded man. If you haven't figured it out, I'm not a very smart man. You don't have to amen that. <laughs> all right? So we're good with that. But I'm very simple-minded. I like to process things simply. And so this is, this is one of the easiest ways I know the, to process this. Okay, y'all ready? You have a mommy cat. You have a daddy cat. They love each other very much, and one day they have baby. This is not a trick question. Some people are like, I don't know, what do they have? Cats. They have baby kittens, okay? They have All right. Mommy cat, daddy cat, they have baby. Okay, good. You have a mommy dog, you have a daddy dog. They love each other very much. One day they have baby. There you go. You have a mommy center, you have a daddy center. They love each other very much. They have baby. That's who we are. It's generational. You are born into sin. You, in this room, everybody, myself included, are born into a sin nature. And Paul is emphatically clear here. He says, no one is good, no one is righteous, no one seeks after God, no one is good enough. There are no innocent people. Let me, let me ask you, because here's another question. We're, we're talking about how people need to hear the gospel. So what do we do with the innocent man in Africa? Remember, the person who's never heard the gospel, the person who's never heard about Jesus, the person who's never seen a missionary. What do we do with the innocent man in Africa? Well, here's their answer to that. There's no such thing as an innocent man in Africa. We have all sinned. There is none righteous. And this is uncomfortable for us to hear. It's uncomfortable for us to realize. But Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, uh, he was asked this question. He says, will the sinners who have never heard really be saved? And Spurgeon replied, he says, the real question is whether or not those who have the gospel and are not taking it to them are really saved at all. We've all sinned. And it's because of the mercy and grace of God that we aren't continually in that state. And so now for the rest of our life, we're just one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. That is who we are. We go out sharing what we have. You have the cure to the cancer of the soul. And now it is our responsibility to get it out to people who ain't got it. And you don't have to go far to find them either, do you? You can go to Marathon Station right now. I guarantee you'll find a couple. You can have Thanksgiving with your family here in a few weeks. I guarantee you might find one or two there. Shouldn't we start at home? So, all people are guilty. Number four. All people are condemned for rejecting God. All people are condemned for rejecting God. Romans chapter 3. Still in chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. He says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith... He saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. know what Paul is saying here? He's saying, you ain't got an argument. You cannot say you're a good person. You can't say that you're a righteous person. He says the law has exposed you as a sinner. Let me give you an example. We're going to do the good person test. I think I've done this test in here. I know I do it at TSM all the time. It's one of my favorite tests. We're going to do the good person test, okay? And so I want to ask you a simple question. I need you to respond, okay? Here we go. Everybody in here, we think we're a pretty good person. Let me ask number one, uh, how many of you in here would say that you've told, out there at Fairview too, take the test out there at Fairview, all right? So how many of you would say you've told a lie before? Raise your hand. All right, all right. What does that make you? A A liar. All right, we're not going to go full bone center yet. We're just liars right now. All right, we're liars. <laughs> how many of you in this room would say you've taken something that didn't belong to you? I don't care the value of it. It could have been a pen, could have been a car. All right, uh, how many would say you've taken something that didn't belong to you? <laughs> Some of y'all lying right now. You're like, I ain't never done nothing wrong. No, you've, yeah, you first want to steal. Probably, you probably took the catalytic converter off the bus the other day. Um all right, so in this room, you've admitted, I've taken something that didn't belong to me. What does that make you? Makes you a thief, right? Okay, out there at Fairview, out here in this room, let me, let me say this. How many of you would say there's been a time in your life where you've had hatred in your heart towards someone? Maybe you've said it verbally, maybe you've thought it, maybe you've felt it, but there's someone in your life, you just you cannot stand that person, you just hate that person. All right, how many, me, I've said it, I've thought it, I've felt it. Jesus says this, he says, you have heard it said, do not commit murder. He says, but I say unto you, any man who has hatred in his heart towards his brother has committed murder already. Jesus equated the attitude of the heart with the actual action. He says, if you thought it, you've done it. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this, and I already know the answer. But I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, because this is kind of a personal one. But how many of us in this room, don't raise your hand, have ever looked at the opposite sex with a little bit of, "Mm mm-hmm, Maybe they're wearing the jeans just right. Maybe they smell just, all right. Maybe, maybe there's something about them that's made you have your little imagination go a little too far. Okay, we're not raising our hands on that one. But Jesus equated that to adultery. Now, the, the point was this. All people are condemned for rejecting God. There's no one who's good. No one who's ever been good enough. And so I want, I want us to use our imagination right now. Here in that fairview, I want you to use your imagination right now where we're sitting. I want you to imagine all of a sudden this place is transformed into the throne room of God. And up on this stage is God in his unveiled glory and his unveiled holiness. And he's looking at you and he's asking you, why should I allow you into my perfect presence? Why should I allow you into my perfect peace? Why should I allow you into my perfect place? And you get up and you say, Lord, I'm a good person. And I've tried so hard to be a good person. All my life I've to do, I've gone to church, I've paid tithes, I've filled up a box I've done all of that, God. I'm a pretty good person. Well, just 30 seconds ago, you admitted to me that you're a lying, stealing, murderous adulterer. How do you think we're going to look in front of God on our own merit? What could we ever possibly say to negotiate our way into heaven? What argument do we have apart from Christ that will ever get us into heaven and into his presence? We would burn up in the presence of his holiness because of how unholy we are. Even Isaiah says, woe is me, I am undone, when he was in the presence of God. There's nothing. We we have no excuse. Paul says that your mouth has been shut up because you have no excuse. The law has revealed that we are sinners. And because we are sinners, we cannot stand the sight of a holy God. His holiness is too much for us. We could never enter into his presence but people think if they're just good enough, they can merit their way in. People think, well, what about the people who've never heard about Jesus? Don't they get a free pass? Let me, let me just help you look at this logically. If a person could go into heaven without ever hearing about Jesus, then what is the worst thing we could ever do to that person? Tell them about Jesus. Think about it. If people... If people are on their way to heaven without hearing the gospel, then our main motivation would be to never ever share the gospel. Because if the gospel is the one thing that will keep them out of heaven, then why would we want to share that with anyone? You see what I'm saying? If it's possible for someone to find a back door around Jesus, to find an alternate route to heaven without Jesus, then the worst thing we could ever do to that person is tell them about Jesus because now they have a choice to make. Do I follow Jesus or do we reject Him? And so our mentality would be, well, we'll just leave them alone because if they're going to heaven without Jesus, we'll just leave them alone. How ludicrous does that sound? If Jesus is the worst thing we could tell somebody. If the gospel is the one thing to keep someone out of heaven. Think about that. But that's how we have perverted the gospel, to make it comfortable and swallowable for us. There is no plan B. There is no back door. There is no alternate route. There is no other way. It is through Jesus and Him alone. We are sinners in need of a Savior. There is no other way. And for us to believe that people can go to heaven apart from Christ, that they can go to heaven on their good deeds, on their good merit, on who they know and how much hives they've paid, that is ludicrous and a lie from the pit of hell. There's good news. I know it ain't been too good right now, but there's good news coming. Number 5. All people can be saved. Amen. All people can be saved, verse 21 of chapter 3. He says, "But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets." Look at this. It says even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all And upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But look at this verse 24 being justified freely, that means being made right freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation, that is, a payment through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness. For the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. After all the bad news we have heard, Paul says this, he says, hey, listen, I know we've heard about God. I know people have stiff-armed God, the true knowledge of God. I know that we stand condemned. I know that we are all guilty, but there's some good news. You can be saved. And let me tell you how. It is through Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. You can be saved, oh sinner. You can find redemption through the blood of Christ. You can find propitiation, a payment for your sins through him. Other religions want to make you believe that we're all on the same journey we're just going different ways but eventually we'll get to the same place that is a lie from the pit of hell there is no other way jesus stood up and affirmed it he says in john 14 6 look what he says he says i am the way i am the truth and i am the life there is no way other to the father but by me but when people say well we're all on the same journey we're just going different routes but we'll eventually get to the same place you know why that doesn't make sense I want y'all to write this down. Okay, write this down. Go Google it later, okay? I didn't put it in your notes, but I want you to go Google it. Not now, later. <laughs> write it down there in Fairview 2. There's an argument in logic called the law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction. And what this law states is that there cannot be two mutually exclusive truth claims At the same time that are both true. Two mutually exclusive truth claims cannot be true at the same time. Let me flesh this out for you. Let me let me put some some meat on this. You get pulled over by a cop. The cop comes to your window and you say, Is there a problem, officer? He says, Yes, you were speeding. And you say, No, I wasn't. You have two mutually exclusive truth claims. He says, You were speeding, you say, No, I wasn't. Both of you cannot be true at the same time. One of you is lying. (laughs) Probably you. All right? (laughs) But that is the law of non-contradiction. It says there cannot be multiple truth claims that are both true at the same time. So how in the world can we say, you can be a Muslim, you can be a Mormon, you can be a Hindu, you can be a witch, you can be a New Age person, you can be a person who just uses good deeds, but hey, we're all going to get to heaven eventually. Those are two multiple independent truth claims, and both of them and all of them cannot be right at the same time. There can only be one truth. And again, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but my me. And so we need to undo everything we've believed about this idea that you can get to heaven in multiple different directions. We're all going the same way. We're just taking different paths. No, there is no such thing as multiple paths. There is one way, and it is a narrow way. And it is Jesus, and it's through his blood, and it is through his redemption, and it's through his forgiveness. I don't care how good of a person you are. I don't care how good your parents were. You're not going to get there on your merits. If you could, there would be no need for Jesus. And Jesus came, the cross is a testimony, and a symbol, and a statue on Calvary of you're not good enough. It's a symbol saying you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Pastor David Platt was talking to two men a Hindu and a Muslim. And he was kind of unpacking what they've been talking about. He says, you believe God is on top of a mountain, and we're all taking different paths. But in the end, we're going to find ourselves at the same place. And the Hindu man and the Muslim man smile real big and says, yes, you finally understand. You got it. David Platt's response was, well, let me ask you this. What if... I told you that God is on top of the mountain, but he came down the mountain and met you where you were to bring you to himself. And they smiled and said, that would be real nice. He says, well, let me tell you about Jesus. We could never make our way to God. We are incapable. We are too sinful. People cannot come to God apart from faith in Christ. But there is salvation for anyone who wants to call on the name of Jesus. That's the good news. Lastly, all people are commanded to go. When I say all people, I mean you people. Born again believers in Christ. The saved, the righteous, the saints in this room right now. You have been commanded to go. I could take you to Matthew 28, 18-20. I could take you to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The great, those, those great uh, uh, pleas of Christ to go into the communities and the highways and byways and bring the gospel. But I want to stay in the book of Romans because Paul is doing a pretty good job so far. In Romans chapter 10, if you would turn there, in verses 13 through 15, we see verse 13, which is one of my favorite verses. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's good news. That's good news. Verse 14, it says, how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. This is the plan. Do we agree there's people out there who've never heard about Jesus that need saving? Will we agree with that? Absolutely. Will we agree that apart from Christ, there is no hope for them in eternity? Will we agree with that? Yes. What do we do next? What do we do next? See, here in Romans 10, 13 through 15, we see the outline for how missions is to be done. It says that Christ sends followers. Followers will then preach. When people preach, people will hear. When they hear, they have an opportunity to believe. And when they believe, they will call. And anyone who calls shall be saved. That's the breakdown, right? Do we still believe Christ is sending followers to go into this world? Do we believe that? Okay, do we believe that when people have the opportunity to hear, they also will have the opportunity to believe? Do we believe that? Not everybody who hears the gospel will believe. We know that. Pastor Malcolm talked about that not long ago, about casting your seed. There's some that aren't ready. There's there's some soul that's just not ready to receive it yet. But the more people you, you speak to, the more opportunity people will have to actually hear and believe it. And when they believe, they will call. And when they call... Romans ten thirteen says, For whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the mission plan of God, but there's a flaw. There's a flaw. Actually I have a breakdown, I think. No, I didn't get it to you. That's okay. Use your mind's eye. Christ sends followers. Followers preach. When people preach, people hear. When they hear, they believe. When they believe, they call. We agree that Christ is sending followers to preach. The breakdown is this. Are the ones he's sending, are they actually preaching? Come on. Right. You in this room are the ones he is sending. You are the preachers. We get it kind of twisted. We think the preacher is someone who's on staff and is paid to do what they do. No, you are an ambassador of Christ. You are the one carrying the gospel everywhere you go. There's places you will go to I will never go to. There's a, there's a guy, I don't even think he's in here right now. Uh, I'm going to talk about him anyways. Uh, oh, Zach Tucker. Is Zach Tucker in here? I see the Tuckers over there, but he's not here. Zach Tucker is in my DMD group, and, and he's a goober. I love him to death, but he's a goober. And, and he does, he comes in contact with people I will never, ever in my life come in contact. He trades chickens. I don't even know how you do that. I used to trade baseball cards. I don't know how you trade a chicken. You know, three roosters for a I don't know how that works. Uh, but he goes to these sketchy areas to meet these sketchy guys. And he's trading chickens and buying chickens. And he's going to Lacon to sell them. If you've been to Lacon, that's sketchy too. All right. And so he's coming in contact With all these people, what am I trying to say? You have your own circle of people and influence and co-workers and family that only you can reach and impact. You are the preacher that is being sent, but if you're not preaching, then they'll never hear. And if they never hear, they'll never believe. And if they never believe, then they'll never call. And if they never call, they'll never be saved. The breakdown on the plan of God's movement of getting the gospel out is on you and me. If we don't do it, it doesn't get done. And that should scare you. And that should burden you. That should worry you. It's because someone loved you enough that you're in the position you are. Maybe it was a grandmother. Maybe it was a mom. Maybe it was somebody else. But it's because of you that the gospel is going to get out.